just before I begin, I just want to give a little report on, on where things are at. You're here, you see the space, and I'm glad you're here. Welcome. And, uh, uh, and there's a little more of you than we thought were going to be here, so uh, forgive me for being little faith. Um, so um, with that, just want to let you know that uh, you know, of the $31,000 that, that you all gave towards this space and folks from the Great Eagle also gave, um, we set aside 13000 of it for the supplies and equipment we needed. Uh, and so, um, you know, screens, projectors, um, some chairs, evidently we didn't get enough chairs, uh, and um, other things like that we, we've used, and, and that 13000 is gone. We've spent our supply budget. We were trying to keep back 18000 towards uh, some of the construction for life safety stuff so we can get above the 340 capacity. And uh, 18,000 plus the 12,000, the management or owner of the building is gonna donate. Uh, So that's 30,000. We have some fees that go towards uh, architect and engineers to make sure that when we tear down and make a hallway through there that we're not screwing things up electrically and, and that we can rearrange electrical stuff. Uh, there's a wall here that needs to go out for life safety. Uh, double doors there, some uh, changes to the side door out there. And uh, so with those things, uh, we know uh, roughly that that's probably going to be, um, you know, thirty-five to 40000 So uh, there's still some more that we need to do to create uh, some more so we can allow more people in here on a Sunday morning and so but we have kept back as much as we can towards that and so if you notice some things like man they need some more chairs well we're, we're sticking to our budget and so we, we just need some more help if we're gonna get new chairs uh, if it's like man well the nursery needs this or that needs or man there's no furniture in the back I thought there was gonna be some cool furniture and well we just we use what we did and we have enough for what we need today and uh, I'm thankful for that. And so we got what we need. Uh, we're going to be okay. And uh, we hope that by the fall, when a lot of our college students come back, we have that extra capacity, or else we're, we're going to have to do some different arrangements. Um, I have some people ask me, well, what about the regular giving? Uh, you know, in the past, uh, in the spring, it's been great. Regular giving is over and above what we need. Uh, what's going on with that? Well, I just want you to know that. Uh, we had to make up for last summer. Uh, last summer was uh, a very lean time for our church, uh, for many churches it is, but um, we, we stopped giving to some of our missions to make it, and so we had to pay back our missionaries and, and our missions, and we, we've done that. We've paid back $15,000 that was owed to our missions, and that's taken care of. We're current. We're all good with that. And, uh, and then we also started a reserve, a small reserve fund, um, for this summer so that we didn't do the same, we don't repeat history. And so uh, like this last month in May, uh, the regular giving was down uh, below what we needed, and so we had to tap into our reserve to help take care of some bills at the end of the month. So uh, we're okay. Again, we have what we need. God provides, and we're going to learn to live with what he gives. And so we're going to stay within our budget. So just want to give that and uh, just a little report. And I just want to say that, um, you know, God promises that he's going to take care of us. And I believe him. I trust him. And uh, he's, he's going to give us what we need. And um, 
and we're just going to have to pray that the Lord will provide uh, for future needs that come our way. And uh, so I hope you'll join me in that and the prayers for our church and as it grows and uh, for their future needs. But, but thank you. Thank you, Highland, for your giving. Thank you for your support of what's going on and support for the changes that are happening. It's so good to see you here this morning. So uh, this morning, I, I want to talk a little bit of, with you uh, uh, in this new series. Whoops, I'm stepping across the white line. We tested this all out. We tested this. We really did. It's just it's different when you throw this many people in here. So we're, we're still figuring th- things out. But um, uh, this series, uh, It'll Be All Right, was inspired by uh, some political events that happened in November. And I, I know that uh, this is not going to be in any way a political message, uh, but it's a message through the eyes of Jeremiah and the people that went into exile. And the, the title for this series is really looking over the, a span of history of 165 years, uh, the 70 years of exile, and then the following years of those people trying to get back to their homeland. And it's a time of upheaval and turmoil, a time when there's lots of change in the culture around them and a lot of fears uh, for their future children, what it was going to be like. And uh, in that fear, uh, you know, I, I kind of found myself in November... And our church is made up of people who are Democrats, Republicans, independents, and everything in between. And, and I was hearing from both sides, not just one, but hearing from both sides this real anxiety and concern. And, and it was this thing of, wait a minute, hey, it's going to be all right. God has not fallen off his throne. He, he's still there. And, uh, and I, as I began thinking about this and wondering about the fears and concerns people had for health and uh, health systems, uh, social systems, uh, financial, judicial systems, and, and the anxiety that brought about the future, I began to wonder, was there a people in the Bible that faced the same kind of situation? And as I thought about it, there was. It was the people of Judah who were thrown into exile, and they were under a, a different uh, a, a government administration that did not share their values, did not share their way of life, did not share their culture, didn't share, it didn't have anything in common with them. And so I found that uh, there are these people, people like Jeremiah, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, people like uh, Esther, Nehemiah, Ezra, Haggai, Zechariah, all these people in the Old Testament, a lot of these stories that we don't look at and we sometimes uh, don't go over a lot in, in the church together, these were people that were going through the same kind of things. And I know that now, you know, election's over. Everybody's, you know, everybody's fine. And, and uh, there's not so much of those anxieties coming out right now and, and, the, and the, all the words that come with it. But I know that there might be other things that might be pressing in on you. You might be concerned about a, a change in a job. You might be concerned about uh, you can't get a job. You've been here this many months in Asheville and you've been working as hard as you can to find one. And it's hard. It's hard in this city. And you might, be, uh, you might be in a situation where you're concerned about the future of, of your kids. Uh, maybe they got to change the school. Or maybe you're a student and you've got to change schools right now. And so there's a lot of concern. There's a lot of fear. What's the future going to be like? And so I, I believe this message is for you. Uh, and, and in it, there's this message uh, that Jeremiah is giving that God is sometimes doing a tearing down in our lives, but he's also doing a building up. And, and so I want you to think about this as we go along, as I, as I talk with you and share from Jeremiah. Is God doing a tearing, tearing down in your life, or is he doing a building up in your life? And, and think about that. 
And in the midst of it, I want, to, I want you to hear some of the words from Jeremiah. Um, I think that as we look at uh, some of these lives and we look through Jeremiah's eyes today, I think we, we may question, are things really going to be all right? I mean, how can you say everything is going to be all right? I'm in the midst of hardships. I'm in the midst of trials. I'm in the midst of my life turned upside down. How can you tell me everything is going to be all right? And I, I know that there can be some frustration with hearing a phrase like that. But I, I want you to know that there are some words from God that you're going to hear today. They're going to address that. They're going to address that. I just want to tell you just a little bit about Jeremiah and the world that he lived in. And, and, I, and in it, I hope that you're going to be able to choose faith instead of choosing fear. And to know that it will be all right when you choose faith. Jeremiah, he started receiving messages. And if you want to, go ahead and turn to Jeremiah 29. That's the chapter we're going to land in. But I'm going to give you a little background here about Jeremiah and his, and his message. Jeremiah started receiving messages from the Lord that he was supposed to deliver during the 13th year of King Josiah of Judah. King Josiah was a good king. He started at eight years old. Uh, at 21 was when uh, Jeremiah started delivering messages. So this was five years before Josiah's turnaround and when he began causing reform in the whole nation uh, to turn to God. And so five years before, Jeremiah was there saying some of these words uh, of kind of the same words that many of the prophets of the, of the Bible were speaking at that time. And, and they were words like, come back to me, return to God. Don't, don't continue to seek other things that will not fulfill you. Return to me. And so Jeremiah delivers this message to the kingdom of Judah, and he delivers it with tears. He delivers it. He's, he's often called the weeping prophet because he's watching so many sad things being torn down in his city and in the place that he lives, torn down physically and torn down in the lives of people. And so he weeps. And, and you see, God had already been giving the same message to their Hebrew brothers in the north, the kingdom of Israel. Uh, you, you remember, uh, it was only three kings in Israel before there was a civil war. There was uh, King Saul, King David, King Solomon, and then when Rehoboam came along, the, the kingdom divided. And it divided into north, which, a northern kingdom, which was Israel, and then the southern kingdom, which was Judah. And so it would be like uh, the north and south, the civil war in the states here, only the union didn't come back together. And so they remained divided over hundreds of years. And uh, God had already been delivering this message to the, to the people in the north, uh, the Israelites, saying, come back to me, return to me. But they ignored it. And so the latest world power at that time was the Assyrian kingdom. And the Assyrians had their capital, Nineveh. And so some of the prophets were speaking to the people in the north, like Jonah. You know, he had a message that was to uh, also the Assyrians, specifically in Nineveh. And, uh, and anyway, uh, the Syrians, uh, they take over and they sweep away uh, the people of, of Israel. And this is what God had warned. If you don't return to me, you'll be carried off to foreign lands. And so the kingdom of Israel is gone. And Jeremiah is speaking to the people of Judah saying, don't let this happen to you too. Turn back to God. And so uh, there was a time when, when Judah had a good king, Hezekiah, who was trusting God when Assyria was uh, attacking the north. And so the people of Judah kind of had this idea that, you know, hey, when, they, when Israel was attacked, they got swept away, but we didn't. You know why? Because we got Jerusalem. We got the temple. And God is here. And so we can't be touched. But the thing was, is that the people in Judah were living just as far apart from God as the people in Israel. 
they were just as far away in their hearts from God as anybody could be. And, and, and yet, they were kind of relying on this little thing. They, they felt like they had a little something in their back, car, back pocket. They had a little card up their sleeve. And it was, the temple of God's here. So, and God wouldn't let the temple get taken over by foreigners. So we're safe. We're cool. We can do what we want. And so, Jeremiah had a job that no one else would ever want here. He had the job of telling these people, you're wrong. God will discipline you. God will punish you if you don't return. You will end up like the northern kingdom if you don't turn back to him. He had to tell his fellow countrymen, his neighbors, his friends, his family and leaders that they had forsake, forsaken God and they had dug their own cisterns that wouldn't hold water. Does anyone be, want to be reminded of what a cistern is? I'll tell you just here, if, if you're not sure. It, it's just a big hole that was dug in the ground. Uh, and, and they would line it with plaster, and then they'd have channels coming to it to catch the rainwater, so that they would have water to drink because they lived in an arid place. Sometimes the cisterns were in the ground, sometimes the cisterns were on top of roofs. Either way, a cistern was something that held drinking water and collected it. And the problem was is that God said, you rejected me, and you're digging your own cisterns. He said, I'm, I'm a living well, I'm a living spring, but you're going to a cistern, and this cistern you're building is broken. The water is leaking right out of it. You will never get what you want or what you need if you turn away from me. And so Jeremiah was giving this message, but most of the people didn't see it that way. They didn't think that they had sinned or that their sin was that serious, that God would actually take them and remove them and destroy their city. And so Jeremiah had to tell it like it was. He had to tell the people that instead that they were going to have to look to surrendering to the next world power, the Babylonians, who are pressing and knocking on the door. They had come, and they were ready to attack Egypt. And, and at that time, uh, Judah was paying tribute to Egypt to stay alive as a country. And so the, the, they were, the God's uh, discipline was there knocking at the door, and the people were saying, our sin isn't that serious. God will protect us like he has in the past. You know, King Hezekiah, he prayed, and, and, and uh, the Syrians, the army was destroyed, and we were all, everything was great. Everything was great. And so, immediately after the good king Josiah dies, Judah gets slammed. It's first by Egypt, uh, first Egypt, and then, and then Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon at the time. He's a famous king. He built the, the famous uh, ziggurat that uh, had the hanging gardens, which was one of the seven wonders of the world. Everything about this is documented outside of biblical sources. So what I'm telling you is, is what happened. It's historical. King Nebuchadnezzar comes. He takes over uh, Jerusalem and Judah, conquers it. He takes the king and he takes some of the royalty and court officials, takes them back to Babylon. And then the, the remaining priests and the false prophets begin to tell the people, hey, don't worry, it's all going to be good. This is just temporary. This is just for a little bit because God is going to crush Babylon and then we're going to get our, our king back and these officials back and, and everything's going to be good. We're going to be a, a, a wonderful nation. But then Jeremiah has to deliver a message that is contrary to what the false prophets are saying. But the people, they just don't see the situation as serious as God does. Jeremiah continues to deliver God's message that their captivity and their exile is not going to be a short period. It's going to be 70 years. And pretty much everyone rejects Jeremiah at this point. Because it would kind of be like, um, well, say there was a foreign power that was coming against the United States. And uh, there were some of us who began to say, you know what? 
this is God's discipline. We just need to surrender. We need, we need to let them come and, and do their thing. And what would that person be called? They'd be called a traitor, wouldn't they? They'd be, they would be in hot water with our government, with, with a lot of people around us. Well, this is what happened to Jeremiah. And he is rejected by his family, by, by the leaders, by everyone around him. They don't want to accept God's discipline. They don't want to accept the tearing down that's going to happen in their lives if these Babylonians come in. They don't want to hear about 70 years of exile. They just want to hear words about God building them up. They want to hear God is going to turn things around immediately. And Jeremiah then witnesses a a second puppet king that is taken away with more officials, more articles from the temple, more craftsmen, artisans, people. And then 11 years later, the last puppet king of Judah rebels against Babylon, and King Nebuchadnezzar has had it. He comes in, and he destroys the city, destroys the walls of Jerusalem, destroys the temple. And then he leads everyone away who's left in, in Jerusalem. He leads them away in chains. And as Jeremiah is walking away in chains, you can read this in the last parts of Jeremiah, last few chapters, Jeremiah is being led away in chains, and the commander of the Babylonian army says, you, you, I I want you, come here. And he singles him out. I don't know how he knew him. I don't know if he knew that Jeremiah was a prophet uh, or not, but somehow this commander begins speaking in the name of the Lord our God, even though he does not serve the Lord our God. And he releases Jeremiah. He says, you can come with me to Babylon. I'll take care of you. Or you can be free here in your own land. And Jeremiah chooses to stay in his own land while everyone else is taken away in chains. During the time in between, when there were exiles in Babylon and Jeremiah was there in Jerusalem, Jeremiah writes a letter to the exiles in Babylon. And this is the letter that I want you guys to see. This is Jeremiah 29. And it's contrary to all the people of Judah wanted to hear. And, and I, I want you to know, there's a famous verse in this passage. It's Jeremiah 29, 11. And some of you might even have it posted on a wall in your house. It's a very hopeful verse. It's a very beautiful verse. Uh, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. It's a beautiful verse. And, and it's one that we do hang on to. But I want you to know the context of where this verse was spoken. It was spoken to people in exile. It was spoken to people who had their lives turned upside down. Jeremiah receives this message and then he begins, he writes it, and this, these are the words from the Lord Almighty. The God of Israel says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 7. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so they too will have sons and daughters. You know what he's saying? You're going to have children and you're going to have grandchildren in this foreign land. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, listen to this, seek the the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. I mean, I bet the people are really scratching their heads now because they're going, what? This city is a godless city. Why would I seek the prosperity and peace of this city? They they serve foreign gods and, and nothing to do with our culture. But God is saying, seek the peace and prosperity of this city which I carried you in exile. This is Babylon. 
Pray to the Lord for it because if it proper, prospers, if this city prospers, you too will prosper. And then the Lord tells them not to believe the lies of the false prophets promising immediate release from Babylon. And then he tells them this, when 70 years are complete for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to your homeland. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, I will, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. So imagine your family. Imagine this. Imagine your family being uprooted from your home and placed in another country. And maybe it's a little more pleasant circumstances. Maybe you got some fantastic job in, in Brazil. And so you move your whole family to Brazil. And your family's kind of scratching their heads going, what in the world's going on? I don't know how to speak Portuguese. What do I do when I go to the bank and there's a problem? How do I communicate? How do I buy my groceries? What's it going to be like on my job? Are there going to be other, any, any fellow countrymen, any Americans nearby so we can kind of share some familiar things going on in our life? Or is it all going to be foreign to me forever? Well, this is what these people were facing, the changes that were going to face them. And it, it, was, it was scary to them. It was their lives being turned upside down. And it felt like their lives were being torn down. But God was saying, receive this. Receive this discipline. Accept it. And I will build you back up. I have plans for you. There's a future for you. You know what happened to the people that resisted God's discipline? There were some people that chose to fight in Jerusalem. Jeremiah warned them before they fought. He said, if you do, if you resist, or you try to flee to Egypt for protection, you'll all die. And, and, those, and I know some of us, we try to resist what God is doing, and we wonder why we continue in the hardships, we continue in the trials, and it seems there's no end of it. Are we resisting something God is trying to do? Well, Maybe imagine this. This is a little different. Maybe some of you are, are just in a, a beautiful, insulated bubble. There's no hardships, no trials, no difficulties going on in your life. And you're kind of like, man, Shannon, this message just doesn't apply to me. Well, okay, let me, let me just give you this. Uh, there is something that's going on around you that's a little different. And, and there's some changes that have happened. Uh, so imagine this. Imagine your family isn't uprooted. You're staying right where you're at. Only... You, you, you and your family and your house and everything, the way you live in your home, it stays the same, but everything around you begins to change. You, your family look around and, and you start noticing, well, hey, it's still the same English language. There's these phrases I don't understand, these new phrases people are saying. Someone translate for me. What, what does that mean? And, and then it's, it's, it's the same currency, but people are putting value on things that you've never valued before. And, and they start putting prices not just on objects, but these semi-intangible things like called intellectual property. What's that about? And then clothing, music, stores, transportation, all these physical things start changing around you. And you realize it's not just the physical things that have changed, but ideas, values, beliefs, and views have changed. Even the perspective on history has changed. When your kids come home from school and they tell you what they learned, you're like, well, that's not the way I learned it. What's going on? What you come to realize is that even though you haven't left your homeland, you're surrounded by a different world, or actually multiple worlds. What has happened is that the emerging generations around you have developed different world views. 
In the past 25 years, there's been a shift in our culture of what most sociologists, philosophers, and historians call a postmodern era. It, it, these kind of cultural shifts happen almost every generation, every 40 years. It's just that this one was a major shift. And what makes it different for people experiencing it here in the Western world is that the postmodern shift and the postmodern culture is a culture that is a post-Christian culture. It is a major cultural shift comparable to the Enlightenment, to industrialism. Since the 1970s and 80s, there have been thousands of children who grew up without ever hearing about God, never hearing about Jesus or anything related to the Bible or biblical view. It's foreign to them. These people are now the culture shapers of our country. They make the movies. They make the music. They make the media. They teach at our public schools and universities. They create the technology that we use. In certain areas of, this, of our country, this is very evident. We go, oh yeah, that's, you know, well, that's Portland or whatever, you know. Sorry to pick on Portland. That's Asheville. In certain areas of our country, it's more evident in other parts. Certain other parts of the southeast uh, or the Bible Belt. Now here's what's happened. Some churchgoers and Christians have responded like Jeremiah's contemporaries. Let's fight off these Babylonians. Let's turn the tide. We can resist them overtaking our culture. That's how some Christians have responded. It's a fear response, not a faith response. It's not accepting God's discipline. Some Christians have fought a culture war instead of trying to win the hearts of individuals. In the process, some Christians have forgotten to distinguish between authentic, unchanging Christian faith from cultural Christianity. In so doing, they've even harmed the faith even more. Here at this church, we're not calling people to fight a cultural war out of fear or promoting a cultural Christianity. God is unchanging. Yes, we believe that. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so is his word. We believe it. And we want to call people to explore God's truth and to align their lives to it. We desire to communicate the word of God clearly, to do that with relevance and, and when I say that, I don't mean we are changing the Word of God. The Word of God is the same as it was 2,000 years ago, and it's just as powerful. It's just that we're changing the address on the envelope. The, the content of the letter is the same. It's just that our culture has moved to a new address. There's a lot of churches, a lot of people that are writing to the old address that our culture was at and haven't realized that they've moved. And so the letter goes undelivered. It bounces off. People don't get it. Don't change the content of the letter, of the word. Just get the right cultural address. That's what we're doing here. And that's what we're inviting you to participate in. But I want you to know that we can't operate in fear. We have to operate in faith. We have to trust that the word of God is powerful. We have to trust that he is active in our lives today and that he is real. Look, this cultural shift didn't catch God off guard. He knows what, what was going to happen way before we ever did. It's going to be all right. Even though everything around us is changing, it's gonna be all right. God has got us. But I want you to know that there are gonna have to be some things that we're gonna have to accept. The Christian faith, what used to be in central to American culture is no longer preeminent, no longer central to our culture any longer. We're going to have to accept that that we no longer operate from the center stage, but we operate from the periphery. We will no longer, when we say, hey, let's work for the prosperity of our city, well, let's go and promote it and say, tell the city and brag how good, look, look at this big project, invite the city, come help us. No, 
It's not center stage any longer. We're on the periphery and we enter as servants who wash dirty feet. We go, what is the city? Not everything our city wants is, is evil. There are some good things that, that are for the common good of the people that our city wants. And, and we have to go, what are those things that we can agree with and work with and go, you know what? Let's help. Let's contribute. Yeah, it's not our idea. It's not our plan. It's the city's idea. It's the city's, let's get behind it. Let's show that we care. Let's contribute to the common good. Those are the kind of things. That's the way we will have to operate. We are not center stage. With this shift, there's a watching of, of the tearing down of certain parts of American culture that were built upon the Christian faith. It is sad. We might have to be like Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. There will be things that we'll weep over, but it is the consequences of failing to pass the baton of faith to the next generation. We have to accept that we live in a new culture where Christianity is one of many worldviews. And though we know it to be the truth and God to be the one true God, we cannot demand other people to stand where we stand or demand that they see it as we do. We can persuade, we can plead, we can cry out, we can serve, we can love, but we can't demand. At the same time, while there are things that are being torn down, there are things that we have to accept, there are certain things that we don't accept into our way of living. There are things that we've got to build up and live and teach in our families and in our church that despite the changes in our culture around us, we are to be a people who are broken, not proud, to be a people who are real, authentic, to be a people who are surrendered, a people who are pure, a people who are, are one another, living in community that is different than the way the rest of our culture lives so individualistically and so alone. And yes, we are still called to be separate, to be light and salt in this world. We are called to be submitted, enduring, merciful, peacemaking. We're to be a people overcoming obstacles. We're to be a people full of hope. These are the things that we are building up. These are the things at the same time as we build these up, we're seeking the common good. We're seeking the peace of our city, the prosperity of it. And if our city prospers, we will prosper. We'll not be in the spotlight, but we will be the servants washing the dirty feet. We will be the ones weeping like Jeremiah. There will be things that God will allow to be torn down, not just in our city, but in our own lives, our family, our neighbors, our neighborhoods. We have to accept what God is God's discipline and know that he disciplines those he loves. And I know this is so hard for us. I know some of you may have come from a family or maybe you had a dad or mom, when they carried out punishment, they did it in a distorted way. And so you think, whenever the word discipline or punishment, you think of it in that distorted way. And I just want you to know, no. God is a good father. And when he disciplines, he disciplines for our own good. Not because he is angry or full of wrath. He disciplines those he loves. But I want you to know that we're going to have to plant ourselves in this land. We've got to plant ourselves in this land of our exile. 
this land that isn't quite home. It's not heaven. Heaven is our home. But we are going to work here to make it more like our heavenly home, aren't we? I mean, it never will be. One day we will be with God in the new place that He'll create. But He teaches us to pray, what? Your will be done on earth. Your kingdom come. We just don't pray that. We live it. That's what we're called to. And we're going to look forward to a more perfect Jeremiah. Jesus, the Son of God. He was also rejected by all. Rejected by his friends, his family, everyone around him, the religious leaders. He spoke the words of God. And he did more than warn us and weep over the coming punishment and discipline for sin. He took it on himself. He took on that punishment. And in the end, it wasn't just Jesus that was set free. It wasn't just Jesus like Jeremiah had his chains broken. Jesus broke the chains for everyone. So everyone can walk away free. And I want you to know that the disciples that Jesus trained, they lived in a culture, in an era that is just like the culture and era we live in right now. Look at Acts 17 sometime. Make it your homework. Paul goes to Athens. Polytheism everywhere. People worship different worldviews, different gods. Paul was not afraid, but he approached with faith, and we got to do the same. Right now, Nate's going to come up, and we're going to continue in our worship. And during our worship, there's a way that we can respond. There's a way that we can respond to the Word of God, and it's this. We can say to God, God, I recognize that there's something going on in this area in my life. I, I recognize that there is some tearing down. And I'm not going to fight you anymore on it. I'm not going to resist it. I'm going to let you tear down what it is you're going to tear down in my life. Because I know you're doing it for my own good. And I know, Lord, that somewhere there's going to be some building up. Because you have, a, you have hope and a future for me. You have plans for me. I'm still living and breathing. And so I'm going to look forward towards that. So you might be here today, and you might recognize that, well... I think I've gone through the tearing down. I'm, I'm in the building up. And also in this building up, God, I'm not going to resist you. I'm going to welcome what you're doing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to join you in this building up you're doing in my life. And so whether it's tearing down or building up, I'd like you to maybe try to recognize that if God is doing something like that in your life. And if so, if, if you want to, if you want to respond outwardly to the Word of God, up here at the front we have these bricks kind of representing building or tearing down. And there's some little holes in these bricks. And, and you can take a piece of paper and just write down, God, I'm accepting this thing that you're tearing down in my life. Write it down just just stick it in there. We'll, we'll burn it. We'll get rid of it. We won't read it or anything like that. But you can stick it in there as a symbol of you accepting what God is doing in your life. Or, God, I know that you're building this up in my life. I'm, I'm going to join you in what you're doing and building me up. And write that down. Stick it in there and be as a symbol of saying, I recognize what God is doing in me. So let's stand together. And during the next couple of songs, we have this time to respond. Heavenly Father, thank You that You are a good Father, that You love us, and that You, you discipline those You love. Lord, help us to receive and accept what You might be tearing down. Help us also to acknowledge what You're building up. 
And Lord, may, may we be a people that cooperate with you, not just what you're doing individually in our lives, but what you're doing in us and as a congregation, what you're wanting to do in this city for your kingdom come and your will be done here on earth. In Jesus' name, amen.